Hey, this is Barbara Corker, and you are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. This episode is presented by AT&T Business. Today, we're going to talk about choosing the right people when we're at work. It's not an easy task. We're going to talk to one woman who's wondering if she should let the fox in the hen house. Another woman asking how to keep a virtual assistant close when they're four hours away. And also a new manager looking for help leading her team to greatness. Now, if there's one thing I know well, it's people. And if there's one thing I do well, it's managing people. So tune in. We're going to hear a lot of good stuff. Hi, Barbara. My name is Jessica, and I'm calling from Goodrich, Michigan. I have a question. What is your best advice for first-time managers? I recently uh, acquired a new position as a first-time manager at a credit union, and I'm loving it, but I'm also finding it very challenging. What are some tips and tricks that you have that you incorporate with working with your team? Thanks again. Bye. Congratulations on your promotion. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. How long has it been? Uh, July 1st, so not long. <laughs> You're really a newbie, yeah. Yes. I've never heard yes. anyone use the word acquired a new position instead of yes. got promoted. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, so I just, um, I took a shot at it and I wasn't sure if I was going to get it or not. And surprise, <laughs> Here I am. And just the same uh, for the podcast as well. I didn't think that you guys would give me a call, but surprise. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we'll add to your long list of surprises. I'm sure you'll have a lot <laughs> yeah. more good ones. Were you truly surprised with that promotion? I'd be curious. Um, yes and no. So I, when I applied for my original position with my department, my intent was always to roll within my department and hopefully move to a management role. Um, so when the opportunity presented itself, I thought about it and I took a shot. Um, I'd been working with training people in my department and I found that we didn't have a training manual. So I helped write the training manual and get that started. It was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And and no one, asked you, no one asked you to do that. You took that on your own volition and said, I'm going to organize this thing better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, yep. so it's amazing uh, when you take an initiative of something in your job that's above and beyond uh, that it does get noticed. And when it doesn't get noticed, you know, you're at the wrong shop, right? You gotta yeah. But the idea, so you made that promotion for yourself and it, looking back, really, you made it by your extra effort that you did in the job before. So it's such so satisfying to get, to get recognition for something you deserve, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and also really going was. for it, going for it. I just have to compliment you on that. I, I speak to so many people and uh, most people don't go for it because they talk themselves into the conclusion that they probably won't get it anyway. So yeah. with that attitude, they don't try. 
And then they, of course, are right. And then it, of course, goes around and around and around. And you've already started a pattern in your life of not asking because you might not get it, you know? Yes, it actually started. Um, I stumbled upon a YouTube video of you. Really? And it was how to ask for a raise. And from oh. there, it just skyrocketed. <laughs> oh, no. Did you go and ask for a raise? I didn't tell you to ask for a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before this, yes, I did. Good for yeah. you. All right. So you you obviously won your team's respect, which puts you in a very good position. How many people do you manage in your department? Uh, right now, I have five people. Yeah, nice size. It's a, five I love is it's a small enough number to have a family, and it's large enough to know that you need systems in place if you're going to be consistent, right? Yes. Yes. All right. So I can give you what I think is the best way to manage people. And forgive me for bragging, but I happen to think I'm the best people manager I've ever met. <laughs> and I think the report card uh, as to whether you're doing a good job in management or not in any business, in any capacity, no matter how many people you have, is do you have turnover? And when people leave, I always felt I had people leave when I built my, my own business, of course, uh, but not for long. I think the first person who left, I never lost anyone again, simply because I saw it for what it was, it was F on my report card, not on theirs. You know, if they weren't capable of the job, I would have probably asked them to move on. But if I hadn't, and they were in the job, and they left on their own volition, it meant a lot of things to me. It meant I didn't, I wasn't being as good a listener as I thought I was. I wasn't mm -hmm. spotting trouble before it became uh, a departure. Um, I didn't have the close relationship or the confidence or the trust, or they would have spoken to me before they took the job and asked to improve their own situation. So I saw that as a FFFFF right across the board on me versus on the individual who left, okay? So I don't know why I diverse, went over in that lane somehow, went a little too long, longer than I ever expected it to. But I, the, it was leading uh, to the first point, which is I think you have to stay close to your people mm -hmm. and not to be confused, of course, with being their friend because you friendship, uh, is always always works. It doesn't work on the basis of equality. So you can't really ever be a friend, even if you adore an employee. It's never going to be equal uh, because you're the boss. So you're alone in your own little club. You're leading yeah. the club, but it's still your own little club, right? Okay. Yep. So I found that in uh, staying close to employees, it was very easy for me to do that if I had a small group. So when our company was seven men strong. Uh, it was like siblings at my table because we had 10 kids and it still seems small to me by comparison, you know, but um, as the company grew and you don't need that right now, but because you already proved that you can see a system that's needed in something like you did the training manual, mm -hmm. you'll see that you'll need systems just to stay close to people. If you're managing 20 people, you don't speak to them often enough as you need to to have a really a tight relationship. But if you have five people, you could see them every day and say, hey, how are you doing? So that piece is not as important or hard to accomplish for you now. But if you're going to grow yourself and keep getting promoted and managing larger and larger groups, whether it be this firm or firm in the future, you'll soon find your capacity to grow depends entirely on your capacity to make a system to keep the essentials in place and repeating again and again on their own. Does that make sense? Yes. So the one system I started when the company was very young and might fit your situation, you have to kind of know what the temperament of your people are, right? But we had a silly thing, it was a shoebox, and it said good ideas. And for every good idea someone gave me, uh, 
I awarded publicly every Monday a dollar, which sounds ridiculous. And people laugh, but they grabbed the dollar. <laughs> what the real reason I had a good idea box was for not only getting good ideas, and I'd say one out of six slips written in there um, was a good idea. Most were terrible ideas that I couldn't use, but they got the dollar anyway. All right. But the most important thing, I got complaints. And I got early up on complaints before they fested into a problem, a big, bigger problem within the, within the unit. So I used that good idea box and promoted it every single Monday and reinforced it with the dollar bills just to get everybody laughing at it, but to create teammanship and the income of many ideas. When the company got bigger, which doesn't apply to you right now, but you might find when you have uh, 10, 12, 15 people, you already need something uh, stronger in place. And what I did is I had an advisory council where the employees elected their own members, kind of like a house of representatives, but very informal. Well, we had lunch every week with that advisory council. They were pleased to be in my company, you know, having lunch, only me, you can't come. I'm going, but you can't come, you know, that whole yeah. ego thing. And let me tell you, I learned about all the problems long before they came because that was their job to, to be the mouthpiece of the employees, you know? So I don't think you have a thing to worry about creating systems. You just proved yourself uh, with making your uh, streamlining, your, your, your teaching of your, or your training as you, as you called it. Um, but I think um, maybe starting some kind of little system even that can be laughed at. Because when people are laughing at you uh, and it could be at you, it doesn't even have to be with you. Uh, they like you. People don't laugh unless they like you. And if people like you, it's worth 10 pounds of gold compared to anything else you might do as a boss. Because likability is key. If somebody's going to go into work every day, they think of a boss they don't like, they don't like their job. You know, people who like their job love their bosses. People who don't like their jobs don't like their bosses. I just find it's never one piece without the other. All right. Mm -hmm. So that, that would be the one thing. The even more important thing is to emulate the behavior that you want to see in your people. If you get in there early, you're always on time, great. If you're a little late for a meeting, not good. The, your whole team will be a little late for the meetings <laughs> because people, whether they consciously decide or not, do mimic their boss. So if you want wild ass enthusiasm, you have to have wild ass enthusiasm playing versus playing a calm person. If you uh, want to give 150% of your job every day, those people will tend to give 150% a day. So just emulating exactly the behavior you want, I think is without a word, the most powerful thing in being a good leader because people do emulate you. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I wanted to say uh, that most managers make a mistake at, they usually wind up with their own office or their own cubicle or distant from their people in some regard. So there's a implied separation. I don't believe you can manage at your desk. I think there's nothing more powerful than managing on your feet. So for me, even though I had the nice corner private office that was also a conference room and people loved to come in and I had my meetings there, I was only in there for meetings. I was always on my feet in the sales pits because I had a sales business and the temperament of the salespeople and what was going on was essential to the growth of the business and the success of it. So just walking the floor and say, hey, how are you, Mary? Hey, how are you, John? Hey, how's it going? That casualness is like glue that sticks a relationship together. And it's easy to do when you have five people because you're probably seated within 10 feet of them. But mm -hmm. even there, shouting from the desk, hey, can I help you? Hey, what's up? I think it's powerful when you stand up. 
So when someone approaches your desk, you stand right up and say, how could I help you? Big difference. And they don't want to interrupt you on the computer. They don't want to interrupt you. Excuse me. I just wanted to. When you stand up, recognition, boom, you know, they're important. That's who you focus on. All right. And so I found managing on my feet uh, gave me uh, power, actually power. Isn't it odd? You go to people as though you're almost subservient and you get power for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand that. You do. Okay. Um, very important. <laughs> Not necessarily the last thing I could go on forever because that's what I love managing people. Because if you're managing people, you're managing complications because it's so damn complicated, right? Yeah. <laughs> you get involved in stuff you might not want to get involved in, right? Yes. <laughs> but I think the very important um, card of fun is not played in business. And I don't care how small you are, whether it's a team of two, you and your assistant or your partner, I think it's key to celebrate those moments where you do something great. Key. And then when you have a team of five, which you have, I think it's essential to celebrate those tasks, projects, uh, finish lines, contract signs, whatever in your business marks a line to celebrate, not with what a great job, I'm so proud of you, but let's have a drink. Let's mm -hmm. do something silly. Let's be a little ridiculous, you know, take them out, whatever. And I also think it's worth arguing for a budget for that. Because I know when I had one office, I could create that fun within my office. And that was my major recruiting card for great people. I always had them lined up, ready to work, you know, didn't have to go out looking for them when I needed them because all my people were telling them how great it was to work with me, you know, but beyond that person coming in, uh, trying to get someone come in, I think it's very important that you get a budget if you possibly can. Can mm -hmm. I have a hundred dollars a month? You know, can I have 50? I really want to create camaraderie and I need a fund budget. And we called in my offices, every single manager had a fund budget. And if they didn't use it by year end, they lost it. And that was a powerful deadline. They didn't want to lose the money that they could just have fun with and drink away yeah. on. <laughs> uh, but the, the need for the deadline when you delegate that, but you don't have to do that because you're not managing managers. But one day you will. And I'm going to repeat that. One day soon you will because I could tell from your solidness <laughs> and I trust you. I would come and march in your band any day, just looking at you. <laughs> and, I'm a little nervous, but I'm glad that I appear solid. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You know, it's so, it's so crazy. If there's one feedback I get constantly from being on Shark Tank is you're so strong in your seat. And I say, thank you very much. But inside, I'll tell you in my head, it's like, you have no idea how scared I am every time I sit in that seat. But as long as you can't tell, I'll keep playing the role, you know? There you go. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, people won't be on to you. You can be scared as you wish, but people will not be on to you. And even uh, sometimes I even act out when I'm scared, when I'm not, because it's a great card for pulling people into your court. They have empathy. Oh, let's help her. Let's help her. <laughs> so yep. a little acting. I'm not afraid to ask help. for help. So yeah. Jessica, I'm going to leave you uh, with just one line that I use uh, and I've used my whole life and it's, I've gotten so much for it with people. Reassuring people and saying you're on their side and you realize the capacity for the work, you know, that the short change is no, you know, blah, 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 you're doing the best you can is explaining it, which I think is very important. But I, I think it's also very important to follow it up considering that, how could I make your job easier? Mm -hmm. very often people say, I'm okay. 
but there's such power in being sincerely interested in how you as a manager can make their job easier. And you know, sometimes people will cite something so small that you'll walk away shaking your head and going, I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yep. I, I think that's a, 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 a question you could t- attach to what you're doing day to day. Yeah, I'll definitely use that. Okay, well, that's my best advice. I'm cheering you along. Well, thank you so much for your time and this awesome opportunity. I'm so happy to be meeting you. And a lot of people are going to learn from you by example of asking for the order, asking for the job. I bet you create a few promotions by the end of the day. (laughs) I hope to. Okay, good. (laughs) Ciao. Thanks, Barbara. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's Barbara. Just call her. Hey, Barbara. I'm a local business owner in South Florida. I have a full-time assistant that lives about four hours away from me. We work together virtually, and I would love to know your recommendation for business owners that have full-time virtual assistants or employees, how they keep them engaged and really feel like they're a part of the business. Are there events or things that you do to send to them remotely? that you help them feel very much a part of your business physically as they are working remotely. Thank you, Barbara. You're the best. Hey, there you are, Christine. Yes. Hi. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning to you. <laughs> nice to see your face. You look like you're ready for work to your old perky. <laughs> yes, I am so excited. It's a pleasure to get to speak with you. My pleasure too. So your employee that's four hours away, is she your only employee? She is my only full-time employee. She is a full-time executive assistant Mm -hmm. and she is also in-state but four hours away. So 100% remote. Yes. I think that's far more common today. It's almost like it's one of the benefits or disadvantages, how you want to look at it, that COVID brought, brought in with it, you know, and it's not going away. I think more and more people realize you don't have to physically have someone there. Are there any liabilities on your side to having her far away other than not feeling like you're close enough to her? You know, we essentially interviewed local talent and talent that was not local. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I found that I identified the strengths and the skills with her. I felt that she was reliable. So I felt that it is a liability too, because I'm not in the office with her. So I can't essentially micromanage or in essence, physically see the work being done. But overall, I can assess in totality each week, are we getting through the task? Mm -hmm. Then that's how I feel. And what's been the report card in that? Is she as capable and follows through and as reliable as you assume she might be? Yes, I know that... Yes, I know that some days we feel they're not as much um, of assignments or things. And so it allows us to redirect the work. Maybe we're focusing on marketing that day. Mm-hmm. But when I look at a total temperature, I like to check each week, how much are we getting done? Because mm-hmm. then I really feel, is this, is this working? Mm-hmm. Sounds to me like it's working perfectly. Yes, I, I, it is. Um, we've just finished 90 days. So it's my Uh first full-time remote employee. So it was different. I felt that I had to adjust normally when you're in the office with someone, it's we're checking in day to day, see someone, you know, they're showing up, but when it's remote, we've had to make an, an essentially adapt. Uh And now I just really feel that I, and why I called in was I wanted to make sure that as an employer, I find that employees, and I wrote down some notes, they still want to feel that they're 
contributing and still have that opportunity to collaborate. Mm. And then ultimately that their efforts are tied into the outcome. Mm. And so that's really why I called in because I find that when you're local, you can plan a, a fun happy hour dinner and celebrate, but when you're not, how to make them feel that it really is a direct result of your efforts. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have some ideas for you because I wrestled with the same issues myself as so many employers uh, have in the last couple of years. I think the one advantage, let me start with re- one consistently piece of good news, I think, uh, in the new arrangements that people are making is I think it forces the boss to be more organized. I yes. know it has forced me because you kind of have to think, okay, what do I really want to accomplish? Whereas you could, when you have somebody working there with you day and day, hey, how's it going? So what are you working on? You could be loosey-goosey. And it kind of works, but I'll tell you the truth. I happen to think it works better remotely if you have the right individual, and which you obviously do from what you said. So here are a couple of things. I think Zoom is overstated, overused. People are pretty much tired of it. Agreed. Uh, yet there's no other alternatives to seeing someone's face and to have a conversation other than text and email. And in text and email, personalities lost. Some people are better at it than others. Uh, some people can um, make you laugh through an email or a text, very few. Uh, and they kind of cut and dry and also subject to misinterpretation because the tonality of the conversation is out of it. So Zoom has it on the tone. <laughs> yes. but if I have to be on one more Zoom call, I think I almost disassociated. I have nine siblings. And we were doing Zooms every Sunday during COVID. I actually got where I didn't even like my siblings anymore because it wasn't their fault. It was just, I saw too much of them on Zoom, you know? So I had like take a sabbatical for like eight weeks and then I started liking them again, you know? I respect that. It's true. It's true. You have to balance it. Okay. So uh, I don't think you cannot make Zoom part of your repertoire. Uh, because it's the only option for face-to-face. I mean, that or another uh, type of, of technology, but it's, it's, but I think um, to think for a moment, it's a substitute for a face-to-face is wrong because it doesn't have um, the camaraderie. It doesn't yeah. have the collaboration that people think it has. I don't know if you experienced this, but even with one other person on the phone, when, when someone is on a Zoom call, um, I don't interrupt Whereas if I have a meeting in my office or just to get together or I'm passing somebody's desk, I interrupt that, 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 that that's like a ping pong match. With yeah. Zoom, it's like a tennis match played in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And what you don't get from that is spirit, camaraderie, and fun. You know, you might get a little, but I am a fun person. I don't get a lot out of Zoom, okay. But still, I think you have to leave Zoom as part of your way of getting in communication with her. I think your challenge that would make it a home run for you and not make you feel like uh, like you're you're distant is to make regular meetings physically with her. And I think it could be done one of two ways. She's four hours away, a four hour flight and is very affordable. And you could also uh, book flights. I have found Wednesday through Friday are the cheap rates. You could fly her in to spend when. Wednesday night, Thursday night, and fly her home on Friday. If you did that once a month or once a quarter or once a whatever, but expected and part of your normal repertoire, uh, that would be uh, come something you both would look forward to. You both would have the personality connection renewed all the time that would last you till the next get together. It would change the dynamic tremendously. I know because I've done it. 
And there's, I've not been able to find anything that substitutes for face-to-face in the people kind of way, the deliciousness of people and camaraderie, you know, just, I don't think there's another substitute for that. What you could also do is you could schedule, she's two hours away, you're two hours away, and maybe a stretch and maybe it wouldn't work for you. But if you didn't want to fly her into your court, like every quarter, what you could do is once a month, you could meet her halfway for a lengthy lunch or an afternoon at the spa. And you could drive two hours, let her drive two hours and you meet in between and have a spa day as two women. How nice would that be? All right. Wonderful. You'd talk between the appointments and you'd leave in love with each other, which you are in love with each other, but it's like writing to a guy for six years who's in the army and you're hoping when you see him in person, you're going to like him still. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. so I, I think that's, those are two ways I would uh, connect physically, but I, I cannot uh, think of a way where you can create great camaraderie without the face-to-face. It's still in style. It's just got to, it's just got, takes more effort to make it, to make it happen. You know? Fabulous. This is wonderful feedback and I absolutely agree. Okay, good. Well, that's all I can offer you today, my dear. (laughs) Well, it's such a pleasure, Barbara. And thank you so much. I I love your podcast and this opportunity is so invaluable. So thank you. Terrific. And I think you're going to help a lot of people listening because uh, many, many people have been writing with the same issue. So I'm happy you're this spokesperson. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again for your time. My pleasure so much. Bye-bye. Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love. Now let's get back to the show. Hi, Barbara. My name is Caroline Cecil. I absolutely love you and your podcast. I just wanted to thank you for being such an inspiration to all female entrepreneurs out there. Um, I own a fabric and wallpaper business based in Phoenix, Arizona, and we've been experiencing a lot of growth over the past year. Um, I have a very small team, and we've built the company basically just by hiring contract team members and sourcing great, trustworthy production partners who predominantly drop ship our products on our behalf. Um, But recently, my question is recently, I was approached by a C-level executive who previously worked for a number of national home decor brands like Williams-Sonoma and other great brands, and he's basically really in love with the brand that we've built and wants to get involved. I'm just not sure how to get someone as uh, seasoned involved in my company, given the fact that I obviously don't have the funds to support um, a massive C-level executive salary. So I just wanted to get your feedback on um, if you had any ideas, ways in which, you know, he could get involved in my company. Thank you so much for your time, and I can't wait to hear what you say. I've looked at your uh, website, and I've enjoyed looking at all your fabrics and your offerings. Uh, but could you describe for the people who haven't been online looking at your website, what do you offer? What do you sell? Absolutely. So we are a Phoenix, Arizona-based fabric and wallpaper business. We also have pillows. And what makes us unique is that all of our designs originate as my own paintings. And then we partner with only the finest manufacturers in the world to produce our collections. Mm -hmm. I might say uh, they are shockingly beautiful. Thank you so Mm -hmm. much. That means the world. 
with great variety as well. I just don't know how you do it. It's almost like each of the fabrics had a personality of their own, which I don't find is that common at all, you know? Well, and they do, they really do have a personality of their own because they originate as my own, you know, pieces of artwork. And my grandmother was a professional watercolor artist and she taught me how to paint from a young age. So, you know, it's a, it's a passion project for me that's near and dear to my heart. And we really try to infuse that level of craft and beauty into our products. There's so much stuff on the market and we really try to put products on the market that have heart and soul. And of course, you know, they also go into people's homes, which is, it's very important that the things, the objects that are in your home have, you know, that are, they're beautiful, but they also have a level of sophistication and that artisanal soulful quality to them. Mm-hmm, which you've definitely accomplished. Amazing. Um, you, how long have you been in business? You didn't mention that. And you you mentioned your sales have increased in the last year. Can you give me a little bit more information on that? Absolutely. So we've been in business six years, during which time, you know, we've developed an incredible customer base. Um, we're very well known in the interior design community. And so, you know, our fabrics have been used on projects in some of the most beautiful homes in the world and some commercial interiors as well. Um, and in addition to that, we've gotten some great press, which has been really fantastic. So, you know, uh, at this point, we started in 2016. And we're on track this year to do $250,000 in sales. So, you know, we've really been growing year to year percentage wise from last year to this year, about 20%. Uh Mm -hmm. And uh, our gross operating margin is also um, just getting better year over year, which is something that I'm keeping a close eye on. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact you're growing, which often that deteriorates as you grow. So that's terrific. Well, listening to how you've built your business, I I was struck with the one word in my head, how intelligent, how intelligent uh, that you've managed your business to date where you have a controllable overhead because of the way you've outsourced a lot of talent. Uh, And when I say controllable, meaning you could reduce it when you wanted, not that you would need to, of course, because you're growing, uh, but you're in, you have a firm hand on, uh, on how your business will go because of the very intelligent way you built it, which you stated in your question. Um, you have a situation where someone who is uh, very experienced is offering to help you with your business, and that was the nature of your question. So I have a, a, a couple of questions on that. What would you hope this – was it a gentleman or a woman? I forget what you said. It's a gentleman. Okay, so what would this gentleman do for you? What would you hope to get from him specifically? So I think there are a number of ways in which this particular person could be helpful. Um, You know, just given their resume, obviously, um, this is an extremely seasoned C-level executive that has years and years of experience working with national home decor brands such as William Sonoma. And And working as what? Working as what for those brands? What was his position? Um, the vice president of product development, um, also lots of experience in sourcing. And so I think this person would bring, bring lots of incredible relationships, uh, you know, just from a collaboration standpoint, collaborations with future brands, but also production standpoint. 
Um, I think as we scale, you know, we're currently doing everything domestically, which has been great. Um, and we're also producing the majority of our products made to order, which, mm -hmm. and we have still have exceptional lead times. Um, so it hasn't been a deterrent for us. So it's allowed us to, you know, scale and be smart and savvy. Um, but as we grow, I really like to, of course, invest in inventory, improve our margins, look into overseas manufacturing. And so I think that I'm really looking for a partner that can help me scale. You know, I'm ready to scale. I'm at that point. So I just need to find the right person. And, you know, this person may or may not be that right fit. I'm not 100% sure. Um, and obviously, Barbara, you know, <laughs> I started this business myself. Um, I have cut fabric in my basement. I've cut samples by hand. I mean, we've really come a really long way. I own 100% of the business. We have zero debt. So um, I'm, I'm going to be picky because <laughs> mm -hmm. I want to make sure that it's the right person. But, um, you know, this, I think, regardless, the value in my conversation with you today that I'd really like to get is, mm -hmm. you know, how can I involve and start to involve people that are C-level or above that can really add significant value, given the fact that obviously I can't afford um, a C-level salary. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was considering, you know, profit sharing or, of course, equity. Um, so what are your thoughts on all of that? I have a very strong opinion on it, and perhaps you're not going to like it, but it comes from uh, being in many, many parallel situations, building my own business, as well as working with the, some, the hundred some odd businesses I invest in on Shark Tank, okay? I want to ask you one more question about the gentleman. How did he find you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn, okay. And on a scale of one to 10, just working out of your gut, which you obviously have a great gut or you wouldn't be standing where you are. At a scale of one to 10, how much do you trust him? Uh, seven. Okay. All right. That's what I, those are my questions. Now let me give you my take on it. I hate the idea. I shouldn't say hate. I strongly dislike the idea. Okay. In each of my Shark Tank businesses, whenever someone came out of the dark, whatever the dark is, seasoned in the industry, uh, more sophisticated, more mature in years and experience, um, they were always the left-hand turn that in most instances ruined the business. I don't want to over-dramatize it. Okay. The reason for that is the individual coming in usually was unemployed had been an executive somewhere, had had this experience, that experience, but wasn't employed now, nor did they start their own new business to get it off the ground after four years and have consistent sales and great structure that you have. So they didn't have the skill set that you had to bring your business to where it is. That being said, the question is, do they have the skill set that can take your business from where you are to where you want to go? You rattled off a lot of different skill sets there. Okay. Most of it, you want to grow the business and take it to the next level. That's very vague. Every mm -hmm. time you want to take a business to the next level, it represents six or seven specific objectives and traits. And I think where you are, which you're kind of like in your sophomore year of business, you got great mm -hmm. traction. Your feet are solidly on the ground. No one could convince you your business is going to go the other way. You feel solid on your feet. But when you're at that stage in your business, I think the most important thing you do is have extreme clarity as to what you're lacking. Extremely clear. I can't source well. That's not my gift. I have nobody in my organization who can do that. I can't 
keep up with the designs. I'm exhausted from the designs. I need additional help with artists. I'm just, I don't know your business right. nor have I invested in a business like that. So I can't address it in specifics, but I know there are specifics in every business. So if you were to go to the mountain or the public library or whatever quiet space you could find and spend a full day by yourself and just make a list of what you're great at, what you do well and what you wish you could do better, you would actually have the beginning of a job description and maybe uh, a beginning of three job descriptions of part-time people, one full-time person, and I like hunting for the individual based on what the specific need is versus making accommodations for someone who has a set of gifts, mm -hmm. I'm sure he has gifts, uh, for you to try to absorb and figure a way to absorb into your business. It's ass backwards, basically. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in each of the instances when there was an expert that came into my younger businesses that were doing well, I like to call it, don't let the hen in the chicken coop. <laughs> because that's exactly what it was. The, mm. the worst example I had of that was a food business, a restaurant business doing terrifically. And they let one of these guys in and I tried to sway them. I don't like this guy. What's he specifically mm. gonna, oh, he's amazing. He worked for right. them, he worked for that. A lot of name dropping. Yeah. Uh, but they never checked out the references really. Did he accomplish that for the company? What specifically mm -hmm. did he get done? And as mm -hmm. a result of it, that guy mortgaged out the houses. They lost them. It was a catastrophe because mm -hmm. he grew the business so aggressively at all ends. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the last thing is, what are you really willing to give away? Why mm -hmm. would you give away stock to an unknown? Mm -hmm. Why would you consider paying a big salary or even a half big salary uh, to someone you haven't tried out. Mm -hmm. No, I think you've got to compare this individual as a wake up call that, hey, maybe I could use more help, more intelligent help, more sophisticated help as a wake up call to figure out what you really need. Mm -hmm. I would compare him to 60 resumes and 50 interviews. Yeah. And be very clear as to what you want. I can tell looking at you, honest to God, you don't know a thing. You learned everything you've done to date on your own. You can accomplish mm -hmm. every single thing you rattled off on your list before on your own, and you can hire the assistance and the help you need to get there. I do not believe you should be changing the nature of your house, the structure of your building uh, to yep. accommodate anyone. Everyone's got to accommodate you now. You're in your sophomore year. You deserve that. And there's yeah. no yeah. reason you can't get that for yourself. Thank you so much. I mean, I really appreciate your thoughts and um, it really is resonating with me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I spent so much time just building this piece by piece and the things that I didn't know, like accounting, I did for years so mm -hmm. that I would know, you know, before handing it off to somebody else. So not wow. everybody has that willingness to just get down and dirty with all the details and my personal fear about this particular relationship or any seasoned person coming in like that is very similar to what you're saying in that, you know, when you have a corporate position, your your life, your day to day tasks looks very different than, you know, when you're really, truly in the weeds building a business. So um, thank you so much. <laughs> if I hear I you really let this guy it. into your hen house and then come back. And that's all we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. -A -A -A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. 
Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.